Charles Philibert Thibodeau, Chuck PT, CPT, whatever you want to call him, if you've been following the sport over the past few years, he's been pretty hard to ignore. While he showed that he'd be a force to be reckoned with during his CIS days, it wasn't really until this past summer when we got to see what he is truly made of, running with some of the best in the world in some really massive meets. Along the way, he snagged a Pan Am medal, learned a lot, and gained some incredibly fast PBs as well. You're not going to want to go anywhere. This week, we're talking with CBT on the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. So first of all, congratulations on signing that big five-year deal with ASICS. Uh, you know, why did you decide to go with that company? Thanks. Uh, well, I've, as uh, some people might have noticed, uh, I've been working with ASICS for a long time now. Uh, I've been running with them since I was practically 18 or 19 years old. And But at the beginning, they hooked me up with just some some clothes and some running, running uh, shoes. And uh, as I got better... Uh, we did some yearly contracts, and I always would get some more and more stuff. And up until last year, I had like a pretty good contract for someone running 338, you know, because lots of most of the time at that level, it's either uh, you're a superstar, you make a lot of money, or you're running 338, so you're not a superstar, you don't get anything, right? And um, but with ASICs, they've been really, uh, they, they've They've been really generous with me in the last few years, and for the contract that I had for a 338 guy, which was a lot of of uh, of gear and but also some uh, bonus incentive, was pretty good. And then by the end of the summer, uh, of course, after uh, placing well at the World Championships and after the times I'd run and uh, the I guess the the presence I had on the Diamond League circuit for a, a rookie. Um, I got to see what the other guys were doing in the business, you know, like all the Europeans and the, the Americans running for, let's say, Nike or Adidas. And um, uh, the thing, though, with those big companies, uh, I don't think they're really generous with Canadians, uh, mm-hmm. un- unless you're like top three in the world, like Derek or Melissa and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so me and my agent were kind of like, okay, so... Maybe we should get back at ASICs and see if they would like to invest in you um, in a bigger contract that would be more like a real professional contract. And uh, without even me asking first, they came for me and they asked me if I wanted to rework on my current contract. So it would be more like a real professional contract. And uh, I was really thankful for them to come forward and we were able to uh, negotiate uh, something pretty good that's... uh, um, according to Chris's and my knowledge of what the milers in the top 30 in the world make, uh, we're able to uh, negotiate something pretty good. So uh, I'm really happy about the relationship. And I gotta say, uh, I'm not paid to say this, but genuinely, I've been running ASICs forever and I'm just really happy to be uh, training and running in their game. Mm. For sure, for sure. Uh, I'm talking to you. You're you're out training in Vancouver for the winter, uh, which you know, as we were talking before the interview, is a city with a, a ton of running culture and a whole bunch of high level athletes. Uh, describe to me what, what is training like out there. It's so much fun. Uh, you know, when uh, when you've experienced the Quebec winters, uh, you just come out here and every day being some like seven or eight degrees like 
even if it's rainy sometimes, you don't mind the rain when you've had uh, 40 plus centimeters uh, for days and when you have uh, minus 30 degrees and stuff like that. And, um, you know, last year when I'd, I'd be running, doing like not even that much of long runs, just like 40 minute run in Quebec, it was so cold outside that I would freeze my hands and my feet and I would come back home and rage cry because I was like, I don't like to run anymore in those conditions, you know? So being out West just, uh, weather wise is, uh, is, is pretty cool. But there's also, like you said, all the store, the running history here and, uh, the training groups. And, uh, I'm fortunate enough to be training, um, uh, most of the time with the BC endurance guys and, uh, I'm having tons of fun with them and I'm just enjoying my stay so far. Okay, so it seems pretty interesting to me that, you know, even though you probably could have had your pick of coaches, especially after this past year, you decided to stick with your university coach, Felix Lapointe. Uh, what makes that relationship so effective? What makes it work? Uh, it's a really interesting story because uh, when Felix uh, started coaching us uh, on my first year at the Université Laval, uh, he was actually 22 or 23 while we were 18. So he was... He was very young for a coach and for a few years we were kind of his guinea pigs in the sense that uh, he's someone that uh, he loves to learn new stuff about coaching and he loves to hear about different uh, styles of coaching and we've tried it all. Like We've done some weird stuff on and off the track. We've done uh, tons of speed, tons of endurance and like we've mixed it all. And I think after six years together, we've uh, six years also, I must say, where I was able to improve every year. Uh, we've come to some sort of, uh, we have now a good knowledge of how my body reacts to different types of training. And I mean, going from, he, he's taken me at four flat for 15, he's, he's brought me down to 334. I mean, uh, I don't know why I would try to change coach in that sense. You know, it's been going so great, um, and I think I think there's still more potential. And also the fact that he's young and he still he wants to learn uh, every day from his coaching, but from other styles of coaching. Uh, he's not too born to make me do the same stuff every year, and he, he's keen on trying some new stuff. So I think it's an interesting approach and. Uh, well, his approach that is very, he goes get he goes to get the knowledge everywhere, but he also knows my body very well. I think it's a deadly combination, and uh, that's why I chose to stick with him. So you kind of touched on this, but you've said in other interviews that you were never really a standout high school performer, and that it's really been you know a progression to get to where you are now. When did things start to click for you? When did you know that you were you know good in a sense? Uh, I've always uh, tried to keep uh, short-term uh, meet like short-term goals for myself that were attainable. And you know, when I started my first year in university, my goal, my ultimate goal for my university would be to qualify for the CIS track championships. You know, and <laughs> next thing, next thing we know, in my second year, I was winning uh, uh, two medals and one in a thousand meters in the almost record time of two minutes twenty-two. And, you know, so it's just, it's, it, it came later in my career that 
I saw that I had potential maybe to go further and to be able to make national teams and maybe world or the Olymp world championships or the Olympics. And uh, that mindset of keeping always keeping a short-term goal uh, has made me able to uh, get get the most out of myself uh, every year so I could be able to get better but not being obsessed with the long the long term and the long run and I think now uh, the short term goal is to make it to the Olympic and uh, I just realized that this summer I guess <laughs> <laughs> So at CIs last year, uh, the the indoor competition, of course, uh, you were first in the thousand, second in the three thousand, but didn't start the fifteen hundred. I I mean, what uh, what went wrong there, and it, it, did it affect your other two races? Um, yeah, so it was a weird weekend because uh, I did feel pretty good in the in the thousand meters, and then my teammates were telling me that I looked really pale in the three k. And uh, matter of fact, when I crossed the line, I felt really bad, and I was KO'd for for almost an hour, uh, which rarely happens in my case when I race. And then I started having really bad uh, uh, diarrhea and stuff like that later at night, and I spent the night puking, and uh, to a point where I would puke blood, and blood would come out both ways, you know. So. Mm. It was really, it was just really nasty, and I had to go to the hospital uh, by emergency. Uh, and I spent the next day in the hospital uh, watching the the fifteen hundred on the, on the live stream. So uh, I've never been that sick in my life uh, because uh, at some point in the night I was like, oh man, I'm not sure I'm gonna raise the fifteen tomorrow. To a point when I was in the hospital, and I was like, I just want to live right now. <laughs> I don't want to die. And uh, to to which extent it it has affected my first two races? Well, I don't really know because I still had some decent results. But hey, what well, what can you do? I feel like um, what I it sucks because I've always liked competing in the CIs and doing well and going for the triple was a, a, a something that's pretty bold. Mm. Uh, but I mean, I had to uh, get back up from it and. Uh, reach for other goals that were to come in the summer and I had to turn the page so you graduated from school last spring before you had your big breakout summer I mean was professional running what you had planned to do all along once you left school um, it was starting I was starting to think about it for sure uh, this summer I ran 340 which was uh, three summers ago now because um, it all it all bode well, boded well for 2016. I mean, uh, finishing school in 2015, and then having a year to train for 2016. Uh, I was I was telling myself if I were in a situation where I'd be running like 337, 338, or like you know, in in that area of times, I could I could go for it in 2016 and and train full time and try to make an Olympic team and stuff and. Uh, uh, well, luckily for luckily for me, it went the other way. I, I did run faster, and now I'm gonna run professionally in the longer term. But when I was in university, I was thinking about uh, going at it still because um, it's not everyone who has the chance to uh, to be able to uh, 
well, not pursue his dreams, but running professionally or having the chance to run professionally for let alone a year. And I know, you know, like an office work or a job can like, you're going to have a job for the rest of your life for 60, 70 years. It, mm -hmm. it can't wait. It can wait, you know, like I'm just going to run for a year or two and worst case scenario, I'm going to have a job after. So that's, that was my mindset when I was uh, third and fourth year in university. So it was, it wasn't the plan. With such a huge breakout year last year, no doubt you've probably heard the comparisons to uh, guys like Nate Brennan, uh, you know, a guy who's definitely going to leave a huge legacy on the sport. Is it still intimidating to hear that? And, you know, when you race alongside a guy like that, who has done so much for the sport, it, it, do you get a little bit scared? Uh, well, I have, I have a lot of respect for Nate because he's been in it for, I mean, a long time. Like, he was world-class when he was a junior, you know, and he's been killing it as a junior. He killed it in the NCAA and then he wanted to, he went on to have a successful uh, post-collegiate career. And I remember vividly watching him race at the Beijing Olympics in 2008 and I was a 407, 1500 meter runner. So it's for sure at first when I raced against him my first few times, it was, um, intimidating you know mm -hmm. uh and uh he's one of the best canadian middle distance runners ever and um for like you know you know that a guy like that when you step on the line with him he's going to give everything and if he's if he's been so good all these years he's not going to let you win easily you know mm -hmm. uh but i think I think that as you get better, you got to change mindsets, to be honest. And um, I'm no longer a little boy who looks up to him. Now I'm a grown man that has has to beat him in a race. So um, when you're talking, he's left a big legacy. I think it's great because at one point in my life, it was inspiring me to run and to become a, a good runner and a good middle distance runner. Uh, and now... He, I'm inspired in the sense that I'm trying to beat him. I'm trying to do what he's what he's done for the sport, and uh, it's definitely huge for sure. So you know, still on the topic of the same guy, Nate. He he has a bunch of Canadian records in the middle distance, both indoor and out. Uh, Kevin Sullivan also has a bunch as well. You know, are any of those records something that you kind of have your eye on to take down maybe in the next couple of years? Uh, oh yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, I'm currently eyeing the uh, the mile uh, Canadian mile indoor record, uh, which is 354. Mm -hmm. um, I think in, in the shorter term, in the shorter term, that's probably the one I could I could get the 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 easiest, and we'll put that in in parentheses because it's uh, it's not going to be easy. Hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, I'd say uh, the outdoor. The outdoor 1500 meter record by Kevin is is a record, and I definitely like. I would love to get close to that in the next few years, and I'm not saying I'm gonna try to run that uh, this summer or the next. But now I've committed to being a professional runner for uh, on the long run, and uh, I think in the next five years, if all the training goes well, this is definitely something I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot for. The Terminal Mile presents interval sessions. Six quick questions with six quick answers. Are you a music in sort of guy on long runs? 
It's funny because no, the only time in the day I don't listen to music is while I run. However, when I'm when I'm back at home, there's always some tune playing or some background music for sure. Who are you listening to though? Oh, right now I'm pretty big on the Tame Impala. Uh, <laughs> favorite shoe to train in? Uh, I just love uh, putting on a pair of uh, Asics gun laps uh, at the end of a workout. Those are the the spikes I I ran I run in. Um, I don't know. They're just my favorite spikes I've ever worn, and they just fit so good. And the the feeling you get when you you put on the spikes and get ready to do some faster stuff is also very exciting all the time. So I guess uh, that that relates to uh, why I like those shoes so much. The website you spend too much time on? Oh, probably YouTube for so many reasons. Uh, I watch a lot of races on YouTube. Might be past uh, world records or races and stuff like that. I also watch when I'm fried up from training some stupid stuff like <laughs> like uh, fail compilations and uh, there's just so many stuff on YouTube. I, I lose a lot of time there. Uh, favorite runner of all time, past or present? Uh, I think uh, I'm gonna go with Nick Willis. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, favorite running movie? Uh, I'd say without the limits for sure. Favorite place to train? Vancouver. So what's so cool about the 1500 meter is that it's really a race that can be run a thousand ways, you know, with everything from the, the burn burner like that, uh, that race that you, that you went, uh, 334.23 in at Monaco to, uh, last year's Canadian championship race, which was won in, uh, 406 and change, which was, you know, very much a lot slower and more methodical. What does your dream 1500 meter look like? When are you going to be putting down, uh, you know, your best race? Um, I think the, the dream 1500 meter for me would be, uh, the Monaco race I did this summer, but instead of being 50 meters behind the pack, being in the pack, hmm. because these guys, they ran a great race, which was almost even all the way. And they were, they were even able to have a strong last 200 meters, which is pretty crazy when you go, like you go through in the thousand meters and. 218, 219, and then a lot later, you're able to uh, sprint hard in the finish with 100 meters to go. I think that's in the long run, that's what I'll be shooting for to be able to uh, be able to jump in in that kind of race. And uh, hopefully, that can get me to Kevin's uh, time someday. Uh, But I also want to add that something I, me and my coach, want to work on this year, and I think. It's going to be a very fun type of race when uh, we're going to be able to master it is the global championship race, uh, which is tactical, but not slow. Hmm. Uh, if, if you, uh, I'll explain this by, uh, um, I got a taste of it at Worlds this year. It's you at Worlds or in the Olympics, you got to be able to run 334 or 335, but going through in two flat for your first 800 meters. Hmm. And I think those are actually the nicest races to watch because the first half of the race is is tactical, but it's not slow and pedestrian. And the last lap of the race is absolutely nuts. And I think 
what it takes to get to the Olympic final is to be able to master that kind of race, and we'll be working on that this year. And um, I think that those are the most exciting races to watch for as far as 1500 meters goes. You you mentioned it last summer. You got to uh, to race at the World Championships in Beijing, which was probably pretty huge for you. You know, there's a period of time where you didn't know if that was going to be a possibility at all. Uh, you know, talk to me about that situation and and what it finally what it meant to be finally allowed to go and compete at that world level. Oh, it was uh, it was quite a summer uh, because uh, so much uh, emotional stress came from running you know but the good stress and bad stress good stress in the sense of uh, having a medal at Pan Am and running fast and then you know there was that other part where I didn't know if I was going to go to Worlds and stuff like that and uh, to be honest after Canadian Championships I kind of turned the page and I was like okay like uh, I won't go to Worlds it sucks but I still got time to get my uh, Olympic qualifier so I'll just focus on that and after running Monaco, uh, which to me was not just running the world uh, standard, but shattering it, and knowing that I was still under the IAAF qualification window, but not the Canadian one, mm. uh, I thought, well, I thought, but also a lot of people around me thought it was, uh, it was pretty stupid, but, and that's why we, at Pan Ams, I came forward to, uh, the athletes' representatives and to Peter Rickson and all these guys, and we tried to uh, to find an arrangement so I could go to Worlds. And uh, I think uh, everyone agreed, kind of agreed, when we met at Pan Ams that uh, it would be kind of silly to leave me off the team. And uh, but what what uh, Peter Rickson didn't want to do with, was to uh, have a, a precedent because of the story you know uh, because uh, he didn't want to break the rules that they had made in the uh, qualifying the qualifying rules mm. so we had, we had to find a loophole in order to have me in the team and that's what was the most complicated and that's where uh, I was kind of left off waiting to see if I could make it or not I had to wait for uh, the athletes representative and the uh, the national com- uh, the national team committee to try to find a way to get me uh, in the team without breaking the rules and uh, find in the end I made it I was I was really happy and also really thankful for Athletics Canada because on the surface they might have seemed like uh, the bullies in that story because they at first they didn't want to let me go but I assure you that um, they have been working for me in that story and they've been doing a lot of work to make sure I could go and that it was legal more than anything and um, I'm thankful for them to I'm thankful for them they've done the work in that way so keeping with that same topic, you know, I was talking to your agent, Chris McCashew, uh, last year in an interview, and it might have been off the record, or, or maybe he, he did say it in the interview, but he said that, you know, you're a guy who won't take no for an answer. If I remember correctly, that was in reference to uh, you racing the Dream Mile at Oslo. What's, what's the story about that? And, uh, you know, how did you get added to that race? Oh, well, uh, I've put a lot of pressure on Chris in the last summer because... Uh, I mean, for for reasons like that, uh, because I just show up in Oslo and then 
the guys are like, okay, we got the start list for the Dream Mile. And there's 12, go- 12 guys, including two rabbits, and which is not, not a big field for a dynamic race. And they're like, we're going to put you in the B1500 meters. Uh, if someone drops out, we'll put you in. And I assure you, for like all, all day before the day of the race, I was texting Chris being like, come on, man, keep pushing. Like they're all, they're, There's going to be only 10 finishers. That's not a lot. You could add me. And then just just pushing like this and like mm-hmm. uh, on the rear end of Chris. And he was like, I know, man, I know. Like let me do my job. And that's I, guess, I think that's that's kind of what he meant by I won't take no as an, uh, as an answer. And maybe another example would be when uh, I was in uh, Quebec a few days before going to Monaco and I got the reason I got into Monaco is because I got denied in Houston uh, in the race in Belgium, hmm. and I, I I had that race on my calendar for months, and I was like, Chris, I'm in the best shape of my life. There's no way I'm not gonna race this weekend. Like, find me a race. I don't care where it is in the world. Just find me a race when I'm gonna race because uh, I was supposed to run really fast in Houston, and now, I, like. I need to go to Europe and race somewhere. And unlikely, I got into Monaco, and that's the story of how I got into Monaco. It's because, in a sense, I I didn't take no as an answer. I didn't I didn't take the no, you're not gonna race out, out there. I was like, okay, well, find something else. <laughs> so I was I, w- I was putting a lot of pressure on Chris through the summer for sure. Well, I, I mean, it's almost a, a bit of an upgrade. I know I was talking to, to Matt Hughes, and he says that is possibly one of his favorite tracks to race on, uh, that Monaco uh, race, as well as, you know, you know, it was a really stacked field. I, I do want to quickly touch on that. I mean, you got to run against all these these really, really, you know, world icons of middle distance running this past summer. What were some of the big lessons that you picked up? Oh, um, it's, uh, it's a different style of running for sure. Uh, when you race against those guys, they're not going to leave you any space. And, you know, I, get, I guess it's just, it's just part of going into that, the, the, like going up in the world level because racing in Canada, I almost feel like if I'm going up in a field and I just look at someone and I want to cut him or go in front of him, he's just going to leave me a space, you know, mm-hmm. while I go out there. And if I try to move up, like, I gotta be ready to fight for a spot on, in the in the pack because nobody's gonna f- let you cut in or let you move up that easily. So it's a lot more competitive in that sense. And uh, uh, I gotta say, these guys they they bring it every day, and they they don't have any off days. Like if like even if they we get to the track and the weather is not good. A guy like Asbel Kiprop is like, I don't care. I'm just going to go after the rabbits and make it a, a fast race, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it was interesting to see how they, 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 they're not afraid to go after it. And, uh, it's pretty cool. You know, you, you want a bronze at Pan Am's, uh, you got to compete in Beijing. You laid down both a fantastic and a mile and 1500 meter times. What was your, what was your favorite moment from this past year? Oh, I gotta say, it was for sure after I ran 334 in, in Monaco because uh, uh, before before that race, it had been I think around six or seven times that I ran 338 or like around 338, and like I knew 
I was due for a big breakout, but it just wouldn't come. And, you know, there's also a difference between knowing you can run fast and like actually running fast. And, and when you actually run fast and uh, to be honest, 334 is a time that changed your life, you know? Uh, when you go from 338 to 334, you're not an amateur anymore. You're going to become a professional. And now you're going to get invited to, the big, to those big races again. And you might get a big contract. And, you know, it's just, it was just so much realiza- realizations that came down on me right after that race. And um, just calling my coach after the race and calling my mom and my dad. And my girlfriend was uh, one of the most emotional moments and proud moments I had in my whole life. Quite a few events happening this year, including uh, World Indoors, uh, the Olympics. I, I know you, you want to keep a, a certain amount of this, uh, you know, close to your chest, but what are the big plans for the year looking like right now? Uh, this year, I'm just going to do a short indoor season. Uh, I'm going to race uh, 3K out west uh, pretty soon. And uh, after a warm weather training camp in San Diego and and the beginning of February, I'm gonna go do. I'm gonna do some uh, races out east, uh, either in Boston or New York. I don't know yet. And uh, I'm gonna take a, a little break after that in mid February, um, and then do a, a build up uh, leading to a, a big, a big training camp in Flagstaff. So this year I'm gonna stay in Flagstaff uh, seven weeks rather than uh, three and a half weeks. So that's going to be a big difference. I'm going to head there mid-March. And uh, hopefully uh, I'd like to uh, go back to Europe uh, again before Canadian Championships to hit some fast times. Um, That would be in the beginning of June, I believe. Um, Hopefully I can make it into some diamond links and stuff, but you never really know in advance unless you're like Isabel Kiprop or Mo Farah. <laughs> so I'm just going to lay it up there this way. And um, yeah, I hope I can get another fast race uh, in Europe between Canadian Championships and the Olympics as a, as a tune-up. Um, I'm eyeing on the either Monaco or Houston, something like that. And then, uh, well, I'll... All this year's training is geared towards uh, peaking at the Olympics. Uh, unlike maybe last year where I peaked in the July for Pan Ams and Monaco and then I was a bit banged up for uh, Worlds, this year is going to be really geared towards the Olympic more than anything. Uh, you know, referring back to your agent, Chris, again, um, when, I, when I told him this week in an email that, that I was going to be uh, interviewing for you for this week's show, uh, you know, I asked him if, if there's anything that, uh, you know, maybe I, maybe I should ask of you. And uh, he says, trust me, he can rap with the best of them. I kind of want to hear a freestyle right now. Do you, do you have anything oh, going on? Oh, God. No, I'm not, I'm not going to lay down the freestyle. That's, that's for sure. Uh, well, I gotta say, in English, I need some more preparation. The only time I've rapped in English was uh, um, at the World Championships. They had the, the rookie divided in teams, and we had to do a little sketch or something. And I, I had my team do a rap, <laughs> and uh, I think the be uh, we we got we got voted the best rookie team. So I think people liked our rap, our performance, and I, I can't I can't really lie. Um, I also enjoy doing some freestyles, but with in French, uh, with my French friends. When uh, 
a little under the influence of some drinks uh, when I'm back home. So, uh, but that that's only in French, right? I I I cannot freestyle in English or anything. So, but that's just messing around. That's that's it. <laughs> He's CPT Chuck PT Charles Philibert Thibodeau. Uh, no matter what you call him, he was uh, he's our guest today. That, thanks so much, Charles, for for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Huge thanks to Charles Philibert Thibodeau for his time and to Tracky for their ongoing support. Remember, you can keep in touch with the show on Twitter at the Terminal Mile, and you can listen on Tracky.ca, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Thanks to you for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Mm-hmm.